Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. I'm part of the preaching team here at uh, Seacoast Vineyard Church, and it's my honor to be with you on this very last Sunday of the year. You know, this is the third time that I've preached this Sunday in the last four years, and I think I figured something out. (laughs) I think I'm the only one not smart enough to request this weekend off. (laughs) I'm on to you. I'm on to you, Lauren. No, no, I'm just kidding. It's, I do count it a great honor because this is the leap into the new year, right? It's really, I mean, you look at next Sunday would be into the new year, but really we get started now. <clears throat> Most people that are looking at their new year, that are making resolutions, they're setting goals, all that kind of stuff, they're already doing that. They're not doing that next week. They're doing that in December. The really disciplined of you did it in November. <laughs> right, right. I've not done it yet, just being completely honest, I haven't done it yet. I decided this year I was going to be a little bit more loose. I actually do have a few goals, but I haven't been real official with it yet. But a few years ago, what I did was I had a word for the year. And actually, three years ago from this very platform, I shared my word for the year with you. And then it was happy. I decided I... We had been through a really rough time, and I was letting it. It had been a long season, a long, rough season, and I was letting it affect me. And I was living my life not happy. And I decided that those things were still going to come. They weren't going to go away, and I was going to just be happy because everything was a rose garden all of a sudden. Things were still going to come. How am I going to live a happy person? And so my word for the year was happy. And then another year I did to know, and I haven't done it in a couple years, but what I did was I went to this website, I think it's called myoneword.com, I think that's it, if you're you're interested in it, it's a Christian-led website, the guy puts it together, and there's a a space on there um, that you can go, there's one page on there, you can click on it, and it opens up to this page, and it's got this beautiful arrangement of words, just artistically laid out in this arrangement. And some are bigger, you know, some are smaller. They're all different fonts. They're all different directions. And there must be 50 words on this thing, at least. And I don't know if you can change the words or not, but I thought about that the other day. I was like, when I was preparing for this message, I was like, I wonder what words are on there. What are people doing? What, what, what is people's words for this coming year? And so I looked at these words, lots of words, Big words, amazing words, all over the page. And so they're words like this, like faithful, grateful, obedient, confident, patient, disciplined, focused, healthy, joy. These are all words that were on this, on this page with the, probably 30 or 40 other page, words on that page. And you could click on each word, and you could, it would show you this list of names, these little boxes of names of people that chose that word for the year. And some of them even had a little explanation as to 
why they chose that word for the year. It's pretty impressive. But there was one word that I did not find on that page. Humility. And I get it, right? I mean, <laughs> we're all excited about the prospect of becoming more confident in the year to come. Becoming more focused in the year to come, healthier in the year to come. <sighs> but healthy, mm, it just, I mean, but the humility just sounds a little, sounds a little weak, right? It's kind of off-putting. That's like, I don't really want to go through that. Like, what does it take to become humble? Like, groveling, you know, what, what does that mean? I mean, does a humble person, oh, thank you, if not for the grace of God, I would not have this little brown sack to wear while I roll around in the mud. <laughs> I mean, when you read the Bible, you might think, well, maybe that's, maybe that's what humble's all about. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be seen looking like that. That's not quite right. You know, we just really, really, we just don't want to go there. We just don't want to go there. But let's look at our foundation uh, verse that we've been using for the past five weeks and see here what, what the Apostle Paul is saying about humility. And this is uh, Philippians 2, uh, 2 and 3. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these people that came out here this morning, these folks, this family at Seacoast Vineyard. I thank you for the honor and the opportunity to be here with them this morning and on this platform. I pray that you would just come, Holy Spirit, minister to us, teach us, here in this moment, work through me and help us to grab a hold of what it is to be humble in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So does everyone, well, remember might be a, a stretch of a word, but everybody's heard of, let's say, the Twilight Zone? You've heard the term, it, it used to be a TV show, for those of you who don't know, and the Beatles are a band. <laughs> <laughs> I realize, I realize it. So, I, the Twilight Zone was before my time. I'm not that old. But I remember reruns of the Twilight Zone. And the host. <laughs> the host would come on, Rod Serling. And he'd start every show. Imagine if you will. And so I want you to imagine, if you will, a world in which you achieve humility. What does that look like? I saw a couple snickers out there that's like, I don't know if you're laughing at the thought of your spouse achieving humility or if you're laughing at yourself achieving humility. But honestly, what does that look like on a grander scale if we all, to by the end of the year, didn't recognize ourselves because we were walking in humility? We have all kinds of goals. We have financial goals. We have growth goals, influence goals, family goals. But what if the top of our New Year's resolutions was to become humble? How, like, how do we do that? 
And what does that look like? But this could be the year that Christ forms humility in us to a degree that we don't know ourselves by the end of the year. I have a verse for you here. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so that's how we're going to look at this. We're going to look at this in the kind of a sense of, of clothing ourselves in humility and what that looks like and what that takes. In business, there's an old adage that says, to say yes to one thing is to say no to something else. So every day we get dressed, right? And, and usually before we put on one thing, we have to take something off. We take something else off first, and then we, and then we put something else on. So to say yes to this new thing, we're going to say no to some old things. So we'll need to take something off before we can put on humility. Verse 3, it says, do nothing, in, of Philippians, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And we have to take off our selfish ambition. Because selfish ambition, it contaminates our motives for doing just about anything. Even in holy moments, it contaminate, can contaminate what we're doing and why we're doing it. Have you ever seen, you've seen, everybody's seen pictures, and we probably have friends, I'm not judging anybody, that posted pictures on social media of themselves on a missions trip, and they're with a, you know, little African child or a little South American child, and they went to work in the orphanage. You know, and I've seen these people questioned on social media as to why they felt the need to post that picture on social media. And I'm not here to judge those people, but I think it's a worthwhile question to ask ourselves when doing something like that. Are we posting this all over the world so the world can see how pious we are, how sacrificial and giving we are? Like I said, I'm not judging motives. I mean, could, people could be posting it just so the people that gave them money to go on that missions trip can see that they're doing stuff. <laughs> Nothing more than that. But it's a worthwhile question to ask ourselves. Is it just self-promotion? We see self-promotion in Jesus' disciples. When we look at Luke's account of the Last Supper, and that's in Luke 22, 21 through 27. I don't, it, we have, all right. All right, we're on it. So here's, here's where we are. They're at the table at the Last Supper. They've just taken the first communion. Jesus has said, this is the bread, this bread is my body. Take it in remembrance of me. This cup is my blood. Take it in remembrance of me. A holy moment, right? And then he goes on to start telling his disciples that somebody is going to betray him. And we pick up in Luke, uh, in verse 21. And it says, But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man that betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them might, it might be that would do this. Reasonable. The question, is that me? Am I the one that would do that to Jesus? I've walked with him for three years. He's led us for three years. Would I do that? 
But look at the very next sentence. The very next verse says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Holy moment, self-ambition, slides right in. But Jesus is not rattled. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. The youngest always served in that culture. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. The disciples pick this time to argue about which of them is the greatest. Because, see, and see, they think this, is, this whole thing that Jesus is talking about is getting ready to happen on earth. Like, they think, they think Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, and then there's going to be this kingdom, and then they get to sit in the right, at the right and the left of Jesus and rule, and, and rule everybody. So that's, they're arguing about that. But see, Jesus gently redirects them. He could have flipped out. He could have said, did you hear anything about what I just said? Were you paying any attention to what I just said to you? But he doesn't. He says, you know, the Gentile kings, they lord power over, over the people. That's what the Gentile kings do, which is pretty slick on Jesus' part because these folks weren't real excited about the Gentiles because the Romans were Gentiles, and the Romans treated the Jews quite bad. And so Jesus slides that in there. Do you realize what you're asking? So then he speaks directly to them. He speaks to their identity, to their character who they are. And he says, you are not like that. You are not like that. And then he shares something completely upside down and crazy when it comes to power and ruling. He basically just says, in this kingdom, my kingdom, the one who rules is the one who serves everyone else. And so in a few sentences there, the small illustration, Jesus dismantles their selfish ambition. He allows them to see the folly that's in their selfish ambition and how it contradicts the kingdom he is establishing in just a few sentences. Best part about that, he can do the same for you. He can do the same for me. He's not going to flip on you. He's not going to get angry at you. He's going to walk you through it. So what ways might you see if you took some time to reflect selfish ambition? Don't be afraid of it. Just call it for what it is. Because Jesus is not going to flip out on you and be angry. There's another thing that we need to take off, and that's vain conceit. Or versus selfish ambition or vain conceit. And in the booklet that we have, the Humble King booklet, it says, if selfish ambition is about doing good for personal gain, vain conceit is about looking good 
for personal gain. That one's easy, right? So we can understand that, looking good for personal gain. When I was in high school, there was a short season where um, this friend of mine and I, this guy named Mark, we had this game, and this is going to sound completely juvenile and ridiculous, because it is. <laughs> we would go around and we would bum money off of, particularly off this one particular group of girls. And at the end of the day, we would see who got the most money. And so we'd have to pull all kinds of stuff out of our bag of tricks, flirting and smiling and, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of little games. And they would say to me, you are so conceited, and then they would give me money. <laughs> but what did that do other than, does anybody remember the McDLT? Is anybody that old? That's what that was. That was McDLT money. That was, we would leave school, we would go to the skate park, skate to her about to fall over, sweaty, nasty mess, and go to McDonald's and get a McDLT. That's what that was all for. If there was ways we were surfing. But that was that, what was that about? But it was about a whole lot more than that, because why would I actually do that? It really wasn't about the food. It was about how it made me feel. You know, when they acknowledged me and still would give me money. How did that make me feel? Puffed me up a little bit. I got it. I can do this. I'm, I'm on top of things. Gave me a little bit of pride. That pride was kicking in there. Made me feel good about myself. It was conceit, and it was in vain. Because it was all about pride. Pride was involved in that whole situation. And that's why we need to shed these two things. Because there's no room for humility. Like journalist Manon McLaughlin said, the proud man can learn humility, but he will be proud of it. So if we don't shed these things, it will be difficult to attain humility. So consider, take some time consideration where his vain conceit gotten to even the smallest parts of your heart. Because we know we, we get to a certain point and we realize some of that stuff's wrong and we shouldn't be doing that. But a lot of times we still kind of do it. We still kind of do it. We don't talk about it. We just kind of do it. We act like it's not there. A book that's got a couple of great suggestions for breaking this off. And one of them is to try asking forgiveness of someone. Not someone who exercises some kind of authority over you, you know, because, you know, you're just like self-preservation. But anybody else. You know, I actually had the opportunity. It's funny because when we're in the preaching team and we're talking about all this stuff together, I don't know how many times I've heard Tim say, you know, you work on the message, but the message has got to work on you. And somehow, many times, that opportunity arises for that message to work in me. And it's not always fun. But for this message, I, went, I walked through this. So I had the opportunity to ask forgiveness for somebody. Why? Because I didn't value them above myself. 
It was right out of the verse. It wasn't that I had, was mean or done something terrible or broke something of theirs. It's because I wasn't valuing who they were over time. And I realized that I was valuing my way of looking at the world over their way of looking at the world. So I had the opportunity. So if I can do it, you can do it. Try it out. Another one, confide in someone about your worst fears. You can kind of think, oh, well, okay, well, I'll do that. But boy, when you get ready to do it and that thing's getting ready to cross your lips and you think about it and you're like, that sounds stupid. That sounds really dumb. Am I about to say this out loud? They're going to laugh at me. They're like, you're scared of that? But just because they sound silly doesn't make them less real. They're still real. This guy named Lauren Cunningham, who started a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. They have missions bases all around the world, and they do ministry all over the world. There is a YWAM base here in Myrtle Beach. This is what he says about humility. And I have a, I've planted a few uh, quotes from people in here so we can get different views perspectives on humility. This is what he says about humility. Humility is a willingness to be known for who you truly are. So if we want to begin to walk in humility, we need to be able to express those deepest fears. You don't have to tell everybody, but tell somebody. It'll begin to do a work of humility inside of you. And then once we can push through shedding those two things, we can put on humility. That's our third point. We put on humility. In our verse, it says, in humility, value others above yourselves. I know somebody that says it like this. We don't honor people because they deserve it. We honor people because we are honorable. Because we're walking in humility, we give people value, whether they're acting like it or not. Humility is a state of being that lifts others up. It's saying, hey, look, I'm not perfect either. It's saying, I value you for who you are, even if we disagree. It's displaying to someone the value that Father God has for them, just like Jesus did on the cross. In John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Jesus did exactly that. He suffered shame, embarrassment, beating, just so we could experience and understand the value that God has for us. His value for all of us, for the entire world, was so high that he gave his most important thing. And Jesus, with humility, walked it out. And Jesus' humility changed the entire world. It changed history. And so what if our word for the year was humility? 
What would our world look like? Our immediate sphere of influence, the people around us. What would our kids learn? How would our families and friends and work environments all change? How would harsh family members or coworkers change and soften if we began to react to them, not out of a reaction of anger, but out of humility? And they were to see your resolve in being just that. I have one more perspective on humility, one more quote by a guy named Harvey McKay. It says, humility is becoming a lost art, but it's not difficult to practice. It means that you realize that others have been involved in your success. Just a quick side note, being humble doesn't mean that we become doormats for people doesn't mean that we don't have any boundaries. But it does mean that we could be recovering a lost art. We could start a new movement. What would the city look like if we walked Seacoast Vineyard? Each of us and the people we touched begin to walk in this humility consistently. It might mean that when somebody spews all of their pain and all of their anger out on you, rather than reacting to them, we let it slide because we recognize that this just could be years of pain, years of wounding, and I happen to be the person in front of them, and it came out on me. Maybe you take the road of humility because you see the opportunity to show them how much God loves them and that you're not going to throw them away. Those people are all around you. Those people have yet to come through a church door. You have yet to, maybe yet to encounter them out in your workplace or in your daily life. But don't fool yourselves. You were one of them. And somebody was part of your success. Come on up, Skip. Somebody was humble enough to take time with you. And we're going to sing. This is our, our song, Humble King, that we've been singing through. So I want to sing it one more time before we leave this series. And I want you to ponder a couple of those things I put out there. How's selfish ambition affecting your heart? How's vain conceit affecting your heart? As we begin to sing. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.